Welcome to the meeting after the meeting. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TMATMPod. Now, let's start the show. Hey, friends, it's Kiana coming from Chicago. Hey, y'all, this is David from Florida. Hey, family, LaFerrin here coming from the great state of North Carolina. Hey, everybody, I'm Brian Johnson from Birmingham, Alabama. Hello, everyone. This is Bobby coming from Raleigh, North Carolina. And this is Antonio from Houston. Hello, friends. It's so hey, exciting friends. to be back with hey. y'all. The Meeting what After up? the Meeting podcast crew. Um, we're excited to be back in a new season creating content, sharing stories with the world, and let's just kick it off. I mean, it's been a while, so let's go ahead and do a check-in. How are y'all feeling? How are your summer's going? What's going it's on? A new season. Happy Pride Month. Then there's that. Happy Pride Month. Okay. Yes, Pride. It is Pride Month. Get out your rainbows, because we're all unicorns. Rainbows and, and unicorns. Be, and it'll be everything, Okay. Get you a piece. Get you a piece. Just in time, because um we just moved into phase five in Chicago. Chicago's opened up. Um, phases y'all got. That's what well, I was about to say. How many okay. phases y'all got? Well, phase five was everything open. The okay. goal we got little, little lightfoot over there is doing a whole lot. Right. I was so, about to say, I mean, are we still even like thinking about the phases or are we just open? Right, like I you know, Auntie Lauren got us thinking about the phases. She says, "Still to wear your mask and do what you need to do," because even though that we are all open, there are still some stipulations and some rules. And I appreciate the fellow Chicagoans that are still being responsible a little bit. But according the way this traffic is working in Chicago, everybody outside. Everybody, well, you know, everybody outside. Texas had phases, but you couldn't tell. We've been open, okay, since forever. I don't know. government don't like y'all, though. North Carolina is open, okay? I just saw somebody's Instagram stories for a party at the club, and it was 750 people in there. And I said, ooh, I'm not quite there yet. Roy didn't say that. That's (laughs) when I be like, Roy did not say that. Roy did not say that because statistically, all of y'all ain't vaccinated. That's not what Roy said in North Carolina. (laughs) I'm about to get a mask that says I'm vaccinated. I just don't trust y'all people. It's not that part right there. I was walking out of LA. I was walking out of LA Fitness yesterday, and like when I was walking past the cycling studio, I was like, "What is different?" I was like, "Oh, they got new bikes." I was like, "Oh no, they just put all the bikes back out." I was like, "Social distancing is done. All the bikes are back out in LA Fitness." I was like, "All right, there we go." And no oh. one's wearing, and no one's wearing a mask in the gym. And if you are wearing a mask in the gym, we're looking at you crazy. Like, yes, oh, you people are looking at people crazy with a mask on. Like I was in Target the other day and my mask is still like a safety net, right? It just gives me comfort in certain spaces. But it was quite a few people in the in the home goods section of Target with their mask on. And this man walked past and was like, oh, they must be scared in here, sir. Um, I, I'm gonna shoot up, I may shoot up 45 and, and Terry with the people up in Dallas for Juneteenth, so... I'll be in Kentucky next weekend. Um, Delta Days at the races on that Saturday. Um, Delta Days. 
but it's um they moved it to June. It's a fundraiser for the Sirise. Um, but we'll be on Millionaires Row. Um, but also is one of my friends, um, his birthday, God rest his soul, love him. Um, but we're gonna celebrate him. This is the first time since he's passed that we've all we'll all be in the same place together. So gonna be a good time. And he was a proponent of Juneteenth, not only because it was his birthday, but he was, you know, woke before woke was a trend or thing to be. He was very conscious human. I am trying to be on somebody's boat this upcoming weekend. So yes, I, yes, boat. I haven't been on a boat in a minute. And like my body has just been like craving the water. So like I finally got to the beach like two weeks ago and that was great. But now I'm craving just like being out in the middle of the ocean or the bay. So uh, me and some friends are trying to put that together real soon. So because usually like we try to avoid like being out and about like on like big holidays, like with all these other folks here in Florida, because, you know, that's not the safest, but we're excited to to do that this upcoming weekend. So yeah, I keep saying I need to find some new friends. So we ain't, we ain't got the ocean. We got the good Lake Michigan. Come on, Lake Michigan. Because the boats was out there, and every summer I'm jealous. I'm like, I need a friend. So if you are that friend, I'm gonna put that PSA out there. Take take me on your boat. You know, I pay for the gas or whatever you need to make the boat go. Well, no, you, you won't know, pay for the I gas. Just go. You won't pay for the gas. You pay for the trip. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, so whatever, I, whatever big. Because you know, I don't know how boats work. I just want to be on the boat. <laughs> yes. I was well, going to say is... Juneteenth is big in, in the Raleigh Durham area as well. So I have a plethora of opportunities that I'm going to take advantage of. There's a Juneteenth celebration in Durham. We have two in Raleigh. So, you know, I'm just going to enjoy the people, enjoy the melanin, the community um, this weekend. So, yes. Yay. I'm glad we got the chance to reconnect. And I know y'all have been doing well, but now we figure out all the things that have happened uh, through June. So there's some new tea. That's old tea, right? Conversations about um, pay in higher ed and this term geriatrics millennial that I abhor with all of my life. I'm wondering where we want to start. Geriatric millennials, or we want to talk about this hot topic that's pressing the people about pay in the field? You know, I think they kind of go together after a while. Um, when I heard that, I'll start with geriatric millennial, shall we? That part. So when I first heard the term, I said, Ooh. it kind of reminded me of when I was pregnant with my son and they were like, you know, they start calling you geriatric pregnancies and advanced maternal age is the new way to not be like you owe to be having a kid. And I'm like, since I'm 35, like, it just means that I wasn't out here trying to procreate at 20. That's all it means for real. That's what's really the situation. No shade to anybody who did like that's your business, but this is where I'm at in life. Um, and so I took offense because I was like, it makes me think it depends. I don't know why, but it does. And so but once I read like more about what they were saying, I was like, it's true in terms of some of the characteristics of us as a group. And I'm saying us because all y'all in that group, so don't even act like you're not. Um, but when we were talking, when it when the things that they were saying is true, like we are the folks who are able to manage the different 
generations who are in our workspace because of how we grew up and when we grew up, right? And we're able to negotiate and navigate things, I think a little differently than some of the older folks when they're dealing with these like true, true millennials and these true, true millennials trying to deal with these folks. They like, why do you, why are you still here? Isn't retirement calling your name? So like, I think we, we represent a group that's able to manage it and who are technically, as soon as this exodus happens with these folks, we'll be leading these departments in a whole different way, um, regardless of industry. I think to both of you all's points is like, I think we've seen all of that. We've experienced all of this trauma and I think we've been extremely reflective on it. Um, which has been really good, right? Because LaFerrin mentioned how we're now the ones who are um, kind of managing all the different generations kind of in this space. So I guess we're like, you know, the whispers of the group and really trying to leverage um, everybody's unique talents or strengths and hopefully utilize them to our benefit, right? <laughs> As we kind of take over. Um, but yeah, I think that's where we're at. And I think that's what I'm, how I'm trying to like, navigate this like weird space of yeah like all of the folks um at least in my current space because like you know I got folks above me and below me who I'm like y'all are just getting on my damn nerves but hey I'm going to utilize what I can from all of y'all and wield it in a way for us to 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 move forward so I was just gonna say I also think like I'm with everybody else right I don't like the term I definitely think the term it could have been anything else but <laughs> I think that there is this certain level of fluidity that like our demographic offers personally and professionally that makes us so valuable. And so while I don't like the term of geriatric millennial, I think that there's a fluidity in our generation that allows us to move amongst different generations of people because we've been exposed to so many different things. We don't have any extreme when it comes to what we've been exposed to. And so we're able to move and navigate environments in ways none of the other generations can. And I think when you think about some of the most valuable members of maybe your organization or your teams, you have people within that population of 80 to 85 up in there because the level of fluidity, flexibility, and value that we offer is, it can't be replaced um, by some of the other generations. And so I enjoy being a part of this group and I get it, right? I get what it's saying. I just don't like the term. I think the term is petty. I think like Bobby, I, I don't like the term, but I do enjoy being a part of this group. And I agree with her about the fluidity aspect of being able to move through all these different spaces. I think I want to discuss the capacity it takes to be able to do all of those things because it's not easy. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of stress that comes along with trying to move between current entry level to current upper senior vice president level and everything in between that. And, and being middle managers, if you will, we are caught, no pun intended, caught in the middle of trying to satisfy, not satisfy per se, but trying to, to I mean, use word satisfy again, satisfy both parties, right? Trying to make sure that people above us understand what's happening below and vice versa. And then trying to make all those people in, in, in between that spectrum understand what's happening on both ends of the spectrum. And the capacity it takes can be 
completely outrageous sometimes when you try to navigate all those different spaces, emotional attitudes and things of that nature. And I think when we're trying to navigate that space, like when we're talking about those above us, like in terms of the generation, I think there's a sensibility that we kind of understand for like how we need to move forward or like a delicateness, but then we also have the radicalness of those kind of below us, not necessarily below us, but like who come after us. So like we believe in all these liberatory practices and we wholeheartedly believe in them and we're trying to like navigate how to do, we're, we're trying to, figure out how to move forward right you know like how can we truly remove some of these systems of oppression that you know we have been like navigating but how can we do them in the most uh i don't want to say constructive manner but the manner that is going to benefit us uh moving forward so i think that's how um we've been trying to like understand like where we're at in you know this current time and like make the appropriate decisions to move forward but I think something that you made me think about, David, is also I think that's a point of frustration for mm -hmm. many people in our generation as well, um, because of that desire that you talked about of wanting to make some of those changes or having the ability to maybe navigate um, different environments and work with different people. We can sometimes become a dumping ground, right? We can be oh, given, I guess, responsibilities that um push our capacity to the limit because we're so good at different things um but also everybody doesn't necessarily have the vision or the ability or the desire to make some of those changes or adjustments that i think people within our demographic have and that presents values misalignment i think and frustration and confusion within the organizations that we that we work in and I think we're finding that come out in other ways like I mean we'll probably touch on the salary conversation and the work responsibility conversation later but I think that that is a point of confusion for quite a bit of people in that demographic um, that I've seen. So, you know, I was very fired up when I first saw this article drop in Black Sap. And I was like, what is this foolery? But thinking about the group, um, because I turned, I'm, I'm an 80s baby on the dot. 1980 is my year. I turned 41 this year. I know this gorgeous Black doesn't crack. Come on through, okay? Yes, so, friend. Uh, yes. Thinking about, we fit, like those, we are the... I like the term original millennials. We are the original OGs, okay? And we have a set of special skills. When we look at right now, we are in the most multi-generational team dynamics that we have ever had before. And you need us. We are like the glue to kind of keep everything together because we know how to read a room. We know how to pick up on the context clues and all of the things on both sides that I feel sometimes this younger generation, the Zoomers, I've seen that term used um, for this newer generation um, kind of coming in or the alpha generation um, following suit that they just don't pick up on because we've had the opportunity to sit under the tutelage of the baby boomers and you know those before them to kind of understand the way I think the machine works, the mechanics. And when the mechanics were made of nuts and bolts and steel and not what I like to call 
the easy Mac way that add water and stir and then poof, you know, you have a project to plan and are able to execute it that we've seen time and time again as some of that, let's move quickly and jump from the next thing to the next thing that it's not, it's not been sustainable. And when we see a lot of the problems in the, in the office or in the work culture right now stems from, I think us not having the the old some of the framework in place because it's just all quick fixes. I, I love how we're at this point, and I just want to point out this tension between uh, in what you said and and what David said too. We've had experience with these liberatory practices, and we are caught between two generations of let's fix it slow and let's burn it all down. And I think. How do we, and, and let's not just in the workplace, this is happening in all spectrums of life too, right? Like this is a generation that we are leading that is impatient and they do not have time for waiting for change. You know, they have come, these are the, um, these are the Obama voters, right? Who were sold hope and hope didn't deliver. These are the folks who are, who are saying to Joe Biden, um, we need you to cancel student loan debt today, not tomorrow, and, but today. And not just 10,000 of that, right? And not just 10,000. I'm going to need it all. all. I'm going to need it all. It. <laughs> you know, so, so I think here, here is the place of, and, and, and to move this into that salary conversation too, these folks ain't waiting on us to rewrite job descriptions, waiting on things to change. They're saying, I am leaving the field. And we have seen how they are reading our senior level leaders fulfilled in the public square. Now that's a whole nother conversation that I dare not get into for myself, but um, they they don't care. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a no holds bars with change and we need change now. And y'all knew this needed changing a long time and it hadn't been done that way. And I, and I think Bobby, you said it too, right? Like we know these systems, we understand how they work and we hear the demand for change. And I think, what does that do for the geriatric millennial who got enough knowledge, but you may not have enough power, right? Cause that's a reality too. How, how, do, we, how, how do we make sense of all of I, that? I think, and to agree, I agree with everything you all said, but I think we are truly stuck in the middle. <laughs> of negotiate, like we are truly stuck in the middle because, because we understand both ends, right? Like even this conversation about Uncle Joe and these student loans, I want you to take all of them away too. Like I'm not a, oh, just give me a piece. No, I want them all gone too. On the other end, I also know some of the implications of that as well. So like there's some realism here in terms of how this is gonna work and all of those things. And I think that also plays out into our workspaces. Like we know how to have the conversations with the burn it all down generation of like, yeah, that's cute. You gonna keep burning and then what? Like, did we solve anything? Did we fix anything? You just burned it all down. But there was nothing to replace that which you burned. And so and in the process, you get burned, right? So like, yes, leave the field and do what you wanna do. Like peace be unto you. But if you go into the next field or to the next job doing exactly what you did here in this season, we're gonna, you're in a cycle now because you don't know how to at least take a moment to sit still and have a, like even challenge yourself to have a different perspective. And I think that's what the role that we play is that we both sides of this and even folks on our, where we are in the middle, 
just another set of glasses to look at the situation. Like, I need you to understand why they're trying to burn it all down. And I need you to understand why they're saying you need to take a second. Because those folks who are beyond them are not where you are. And they're like, it's cool because I have longevity. You don't. When you leave here, I'm still probably going to be here for another 15 years doing what I'm doing. So we are the translators in the midst of that, that I think moves things forward in a way that we don't have somebody burning stuff down and we don't have people moving like snails. Because there are times I think we also are like, what is happening right now? Why is this not going this way a little, like it could move a little faster. Like some things y'all can move a little faster because we know y'all can find coin when necessary. We know that y'all can change policy real quick to suit one's needs. So what is happening? But I think because to what um, Bobby and Kiana has said, we have been raised by a group of folks. We have been mentored and tutored in this work in, in life at this point by some people who have told us how to, showed us how to navigate that um, in a way to get results, right? Like you can't talk to slow, 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 the way you're talking to burn, burn, burn. Like it don't work that way. I think though, I hear you, LaFerrin. I think the other side of the coin to me is that moment of reflection of, are we complacent in that space? Because yes, that's a good space to be in, to be able to navigate both sides of the coin, right? And try to make sure that things are being done within a way that is, allows it to be sustainable, allows it to be fruitful. However, are we complacent in that space? Like, why don't we have the same fire that the generation coming above us had? And why do we accept the slowness of the generation ahead of us? And I think for me, it's that moment of reflection when I am having these conversations with um, younger staff, mentees is, am I just comfortable? Like, is this just enough? Am I just accepting enough? Should I be pushing more? Like, have I veered a little bit too much toward the generations above me because I'm in a nice cushy space and I'm okay with being in that space. Do I need to do more? Am I complacent? And I think it is a moment of reflection for us to think about because, you know, I think about the diversity conversations that we've had over the last year, right? And I hear, well, change takes time. Well, change takes time. Well, how much time? Like, why weren't we pushing before, why did we accept change takes time? And now it took these babies to come in and say, well, we ain't got no more time. And I think it is this moment of reflection for our generation when it comes to that. I think we're in a place, well, let me go back. I, I agree with everything that everybody said. I think that, and, and it's very frustrating to kind of be in the middle and try to work through both spectrums, right? To Bobby's point about being complacent, I don't think we're being complacent to Kiana's point about us being able to have the privilege of being brought up by people uh, from the baby boomer era, I think we also learned job security, right? And we also learned that if you push way, way, way too much, you might be out of a job um, because of your pushing and things of that nature. And so it's a delicate balance of how much do I push? How much do I give the pull away? And, and, and when do I know, to, Brian, shut up? because it's not gonna happen. 
um, and, and let's move a different direction, right? And then it's my responsibility to then go back and try to explain to the people that I supervise, here's why we can't do X, Y, and Z, or here's why I've been told that we can't do X, Y, and Z. So I think it, I don't think it's complacency. I think it's definitely job security and, and trying to figure out how we navigate those spaces and still keep a direct deposit. It's the special skills. It's the special skills I was talking about. It's about, we know how to be strategic and calculating in a way to go for the win. Like we know how to play the long game and knowing that, recognizing that if this long game, we, we play it long enough and this long game is not the direction, then we strategically make our exit, whatever that may be, or figuring out what's the, what's the next thing. I love everything Bobby said. And I and I love everything Brian said. And I and and there's no right or wrong. It's both and right because you got to think about the system and you got to think about yourself. But I also think there is no winning straddling the fence in the middle. You will be burned by both sides, you know. And so uh, I think you. I'm gonna use LaFerrin's words: the geriatric millennial has to choose their choice. And, and and ride with the benefits or the consequences of both sides. Because this new generation ain't giving you no leeway. They burning your name down because you ain't for the cause, right? And, and let's, let's be clear, right? And if you move too much, the senior professional gonna burn you because you don't understand strategy, right? And, and, and the long game. And so I, it, that is a tough place to be in that I think is no win-win. And I think, Kiana, to what you're saying is, yes, we do know how to play the long game. And I hear younger professionals across many industries saying, that's the problem, is you're playing the long game. Yeah. And you're not making a decision on one way or the other. And so I don't know what people do with that personally, but I think, how do we speak truth to power in a way that is meaningful to the individual? I was gonna say just, always bring things back to values and I think when Brian was talking and like Antonio when you were talking it's also generational values and I think we were taught stability we were taught security we are first a lot of us are first gen right and so that is very very prevalent how we approach navigating organizations and structures because at the end of the day and we talked about this on the episode before I gotta get it for Bobby and I really, I can't risk not getting it for Bobby. And so I, how I navigate environments is really through that lens while also being through the lens of wanting change, wanting to help people, wanting equity, wanting, you know, all of those different things. But at the root of it, I have to have stability. I have to have security. And I think this generation kind of below us that's not necessarily their first set of values. And so there is a disconnect because to them, right, we sold out to the man. Bobby, I agree with you. We were taught stability, but I think this new generation, they don't know, let's be clear, they don't know security. And let's look through the experiences that they've had. They've seen their parents lose their jobs and they made it. They've seen bubbles burst and they made it. They have now lived through a pandemic and they've made it. And I think a part of that perspective is let, let it burn. It will come back in some form. Don't care what form it comes back in because systems 
reinvent themselves and systems survive. But I think that's something that none of the research around generations that we're seeing is about their perspective is that they, they don't know security. So it's not foreign to them to say, burn it down, right? I'm not advocating for it, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying I, I, I can see how they may arrive at that. And so when you've known loss as a generation, how, how might that impact your, their decision-making as they start taking on new roles across industry? Well, I think you that know, reverse, that's the same thing. We, we have this, this generation who is getting close to 40 or who is right over 40, we have seen all of these things more than they have. We've seen unemployment. We have seen drugs. We have seen people attack us on American soil. We have seen school shootings escalate and progress to what they have. We have seen mass shootings. We have, like, we have seen it all. And I think to Bobby's point, it's about that stability. And whereas I have something to lose and everybody doesn't understand what, they don't know what their threshold of what to lose is, right? And so it's okay to burn it down. I'm good, I'm gonna be all right. Now that might have been my attitude some years ago, maybe, maybe. But I always had an idea of, you know, there's something to lose here. Now- It's okay to burn it down when you don't have the responsibility of maintaining anything. Exactly. exactly, because we were so close to the generations ahead of us where we were a part of keeping it together. Like we, a lot of us were working or a lot of us were doing things to bring money into our households to survive, you know, and the folks who are in the younger generations, they were still being cared for. Like we were always going, they weren't going to fail because we couldn't fail, you know, so they've always had that safety net. And I'm not trying to negate any of their experience in that, but that is a reality for that. Where do we go from here if we go anywhere? Or we just rest in the confusion? And that's a possibility too, right? I mean, to somebody's point, you know, we had talked about, you know, we we can't straddle the fence. And at some point, there's going to be a side that needs to be taken by, by someone, right? I mean, I don't think we've gotten to an answer because I think that to, to this point of this conversation, we are in the middle, right? And we understand both sides. You know, we talked about the machine earlier, right? And it took years to build this machine of nuts and bolts and welding and everything else. And a simple back to the machine will not break, right? And so to your point, where do we go from here? Or do we just rest in the confusion that we currently are in? I've had a lot of thoughts. Um, and my question, you know, when I hear these conversations come out, is it a me mentality or we mentality. And I think that that's where the millennial grouping splits that, you know, are we burning it down because, and I'm shouting burning it down because it's about me right now and my needs um, and about what I can gain. So, cause I am constantly thinking about the next and it's the next moment, the next career position, the next opportunity but I'm not thinking like long-term career, right? In the moment, because that's what sometimes I often feel is missing from that conversation. Or is it, well, I'm burning it down because I'm thinking about the team and those to come and the whole we. And I feel that that's the difference between the OGs and the new kids <laughs> in the group because we still have more of a team mentality, but I think that comes from those who mentored us 
um, because we're looking for sustainability. I think the other thing too, um, talking with some colleagues recently about budgets and salaries and hearing these numbers and like how salary moves, right? But the question I got pushed back was that we can increase, yes, salaries may not be increasing right now because budgets are tight, but looking, when you zoom out, nobody lost their job, right? And so we can increase your salary, but then that means we're going to have to cut some positions to do it. Because the other piece no one is talking about is that we, we have a deficit in terms of enrollment. It's on the bounce back, but we're not quite there yet. We have a influx of students that are doing their first two years, maybe not at a four-year institution or they're finding other means and the pandemic helped that a lot, right? When everything went virtual. And so that impacted our traditional institutions. And so where a majority of us reside, I would say, um, and there's frustration in, in that, but where where's the money coming from? You know, or how, it, it just isn't easy of like shifting some things around if the enrollment per se isn't there already to begin with. And how, and right, and in addition to also birth rates, right, the birth rates um, going down, that there are less people, there are other people choosing other opportunities, and no one is putting all those pieces together um, when we're going to show up and ready to fight and yell and, you know, demand some of these changes, but no one is also trying to figure out, well, we got to address all of these other concerns and issues first. And that's what I mean by the long game. Like the OGs in the group recognize that these are some other issues that we have to tackle first. Of course, we all want the extra coins in our pockets, but we got to make sure it's sustainable. And I'm not cutting, per se, cutting somebody else out of an opportunity. I think that, Kian, I agree with everything that you said. And I think that this is where we just finished this conversation about being caught in the middle and what the middle looks like. Cause I totally understand your perspective, Kiana, from a managerial, you know, mid-level practitioner perspective. But as a quote unquote pre-millennial, if you will, right? I feel like I would say to that. The, the pandemic just happened. And we this salary conversation has not been a new conversation. It's been something that we've talked about for years in higher education. And, 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 and so now we're going to use the pandemic as the excuse, right, for not having the right budgets, not being able to increase salaries. When way before the pandemic, we, we've always used the excuse of not having the budgets and not having the money to increase salaries, things of that nature. And so from a millennial perspective, I understand what that rhetoric sounds like. And then I start to push back a little bit and say, well, wait a minute, because before the pandemic, we were already still having the same conversation with the same excuse. My question then becomes, what is enough? At your mm -hmm. level place, what do you feel is a, and I'm gonna use the word reasonable, because reasonable means that a reasonable person taking all things in consideration would give this answer. What do you feel is a reasonable base level salary for your job description and everything that comes? That's what I want to know. And that's what I want to understand because people keep asking me for more money, but I'm like, tell me how and tell me why, because I don't mind fighting for more coin. I will do that for my staff all day long. 
but I also am able to justify the increase. So, so we, <laughs> what we is have the answers for that. We have answers for that, right? And and it is what the field did. We can debate how how the field did it, right? Right? Because we know, you know, moving to the 47. Um, and so we see across industries, what is a livable wage? And that is a conversation that has not been dissected enough in student affairs. Because when you map out $27,000 to 40 hours a week and you see what someone is making, you ask the question, is that a livable wage? Right, wrong, or indifferent, just presenting it as a, as a point of, of how do we get to what is enough? And I don't, and I am with you, LaFerrin, and stand on that side of, okay, so you moved to 47, what's enough then? Because we see too, people who went up to 47 and still weren't satisfied with- right. And that's, and that's my thing, because the base in my head doesn't include a two. It has a four in it. So yeah. for me, I am always curious to understand, yeah. particularly at this entry level and understanding everything that is being provided and also understanding what I'm asking you to do. So I think that's the, that's the other piece for me is to understand that, right? Yeah. I like where we're at as we wrap this conversation. I think what questions maybe we don't have answers but what questions do we have since we are caught in the middle for those who are senior and what questions do we have for those who are coming up and my observation and i love what brian said the and i don't think younger millennials younger millennials younger generations understand this the system is built to protect the system and one swipe at it on social media complaining with a Facebook post or tweet, ain't gonna break a system. And what the system does when the system feels attacked is the system protects against itself to ensure that it will continue, meaning it will come for you and it will come for the things that you are doing. And so feel a way that you will feel about it, that's simply the way that things are working. And so if you're going to try to tackle and demolish systems, I think there might be another constructive way of thinking about doing it. And if you're in S, and my question for them is, are you trying to topple the system or are you trying to change the system for better? Because I think your intent will be taken into full account when it looks at your impact too. And so I think there's room for that. And that's my, that's my question for younger folks, no matter where you're at and you're fighting for salaries, get your coin. Cause I'm the king of believing in getting your coins. How you get your coins is also important too. I think my question for the younger generation <clears throat> coming up to student affairs right now um, is do you understand the scope of responsibility and what that means? Because an institution like a LSU, where there are how many ever people living on campus or how many ever undergrads compared to an institution in rural South Carolina that has a population of 700 students, we get into the salary conversation, should those two people in the same position be making the same salary? And my, my, my thought process is no, but I feel like we've gotten to that conversation of a small school and their salary compared to a large school and their salary making the same thing. And that's not reasonable. So my question is, do you understand the scope of responsibility and how that plays out when you're thinking about salaries and line items and budgets within the salary? Um, my question, <laughs> I mean, I've asked it, what is enough? taking all those things into consideration, what Brian just said, as well as the things that we've been talking about as well. Like, what is enough in the scope of your role? And, and to really think about it, right? 
Because I also think sometimes when people are having these conversations, it's also how they are feeling in comparison to other folks. And, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And so I feel like that happens. And so your position may look different than somebody else's. And so I just want to know what's enough. So I can understand. So I can be either a better advocate or help you better understand. I think my question is um, for our leadership and and for us as you know emerging leaders in the field. I think as we're talking about salary, we also need to talk about the cost of entry into the field. You know, because if we're talking about these graduate programs and these and PhDs or years of experience that we need to have, you know, that are minimum. Um, yeah, like I mean, can we? expect to pay these salaries and still have people paying $600, $600 a month in student loans, you know, for this, um, for this graduate or for this master's that we're now requiring for folks or this PhD that we're going to be requiring for folks. Um, so yeah, I think we need to start to look at, we need to look at that differently um, because we're also, as we're seeing less people attend higher education, we're also seeing less people come into the field. Um, so that's my question. I think for me, my question is for senior leadership and administration is what does the future of higher ed look like to them? Who is taking over when they retire or when they transition out? What does the future professional look like? What type of talent do they want to have? And how does the culture of salaries and compensation shift or need to change with that? I just think that as a full kind of field, we just have an issue with compensation and with salary. And I know we talk a lot about reality of, you know, our younger professionals and some of our mid-level professionals when it comes to salary, but there's also a very significant issue of transparency of salaries within our field. And a lack of understanding with how salaries are even developed. How many people can really sit and say they know how we come to a salary for any given job? It's very rare that you're walking through roles and responsibilities and associating dollar signs with those. And so I think there is a greater conversation that needs to happen systematically um, if we really want to maintain and secure top talent, passionate people, people that are truly invested in this work for the future of our field. Otherwise, we are going to keep lose, losing amazing professionals who are really committed to the work of higher ed because they are being recruited to do different work that is meaningful, that gives them purpose for coin, period. And I just, I am just very, very invested in who does the future housing, not housing, but higher ed professional, who is that? Who do you want in those seats when you retire? And what does the shift in how we look at compensation as a field adjust? It makes me think about this idea of like when you're interviewing and people say, oh, it's like family here. It's like that. It's that cringy idea of family within our field. Um, when it comes to money, oh, well, you just take enough, right? Like, you just, 50 should be enough. You get to do what you love. But that's we gotta not stop cool that anymore. Language. Like, that's not cool it. anymore, right? Like, to say it's like family isn't cool anymore. There's issue with that. And so for us to just 
think it's okay to just offer people the bare minimum because they're working in their passion and it's good work is not okay anymore. And we just have to be better as a, as a whole institution, as a field. And I would just say, and I know we're at the questions for seniors and, and, and people and current millennials, but to Bobby's point, you know, our work has changed drastically, dramatically over the last couple of years. Um, I think almost 10 years ago, when I think back to my entry-level role as a hall director, I didn't nearly have as many students in crisis as I do right now living on campus. And that has dra dramatically changed the work. No longer are we just programming and, and trying to help people be build a sense of belonging and, and all the things, right? We're trying, we're saving people's lives at this point. We have frontline people that are in the front of that connecting with students who are contemplating suicide and death on a daily basis, right? And so I can only imagine what that one does in the psyche, but to Bobby's point, the work has now dramatically changed. And is there a cause for a pay increase just on that alone? Brian, you, you made me think about uh, when I was in this development session the other day and um, the CEO, she said, um, the greatest thing an organization can have is an organizational historian. And the worst thing that an organization can have is an organizational historian. And I think our field has a lot of historians who remember I did your job, but no, you didn't do this job. Say you it again. A job. You did a job. And I think that is a value that of perspective that the geriatric millennial brings to the space. We heard you say you did this job, but we see the new job that's being done and it looks different. And, um, and we need to divorce ourselves from that mentality. And I think that, um, dare I say, historical lens suppresses change across the industry in ways that are not helpful. And I think that we all said this in our own chat, this recent uprising of commentary feels very different than before. It has a different tone and it has a different tenor. And so I would implore leaders who care to spend some time away from your ivory tower, get on your front line and listen to the folks before they come for your system, your organization, or you. Um, and they will come from you as, as Audre Lorde taught us. They will come for you. Uh, and what that looks like um, may be different um, for every organization. So thank y'all. Um, a little bit perspective of what's happening y'all over the next couple of weeks and what you can expect from us. Um, we're gonna do something a little different for summer 2021. So we're gonna bring you some individual content from each of the co-hosts. Um, we may jump in with each other, but it won't be the full cast for the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. Y'all know our email is always open. If y'all want us to talk about a topic, talk about all the things, hit us. Um, it's in the details of this episode. We appreciate y'all for rocking with us um, so, so much. We're glad to be back. We outside too. We are outside. And Outside, yeah. Brian got his thigh meat out. Look, I mean, yeah. then there's that. We still staying safe, though. Y'all be safe out here. Right, because we don't trust these people. And you shouldn't either. Put your mask on, even if you vaccinated. Wash your hands. 20 seconds. Uh, wash your hand. Mind your business. Drink all the water. And, mind the uh, business that's yours. 
And we'll see y'all on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Deuces.